most blessed greetings of divine peace and light. Assalamu alaikum, dear and beloved brothers and sisters in faith and in humanity. Welcome to Soul of Islam Radio. My name is Ihsan, and I am a faith-based life coach with the goal of supporting seekers upon the path and finding a healthy balance between the spiritual and practical dimensions of life in the modern world. I recently had the opportunity to meet and talk with Dr. Imtiaz Suleiman, who heads the Gift of the Givers Foundation, one of the largest, if not the largest, and most effective humanitarian relief organizations in South Africa. Dr. Suleiman is an inspiring example of what is possible when a human being consciously chooses sacred service and divine purpose, and when one sincerely seeks to live a life of selflessness by striving to help other human beings. This conversation with Dr. Suleiman was a powerful reminder for me personally as to why we are here on this plane and upon this planet, and how essential it is to seek to live a life of service to our Creator by seeking to serve His creation, and that ultimately this is what will matter most, to what degree we were able to reduce the suffering of others. In our discussion, we spoke about love and service as the key to strengthening faith, the importance of good counsel, listening to and acting upon our highest calling, the spiritual origins of his work and mission, how to truly develop spiritually through meaningful and valuable work and service, the role of Muslims as deputies and servants of God in the world, and much more. Brothers and sisters, I hope you enjoy, benefit, and are inspired by this illuminating conversation. Uh, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, Dr. Imtiaz. Uh, a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, welcome to Soul of Islam Radio. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's my deep pleasure, uh, Dr. Imtiaz. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, right, one of the things that we hope to do to try to encourage Muslims in, in our community to take an active role in the world that we live in, and that this is actually a key to spiritual growth and spiritual development. So most of our listeners may not be familiar with you or what you do, Dr. Imtiaz. Maybe a brief bio about yourself and what you do. What do you do exactly? I'm from South Africa. I've grown up here, you know, third, second, fourth generation. And I'm a medical doctor, but I don't practice medicine anymore. I gave up medicine on the 30th of June, 1994. That's because my life took a different direction. In August, 1992, well, in August, 91, I met a spiritual teacher, a Sufi master in Istanbul, in a place called Kala, Kala The Sufi chef was from a Tariqa called the Halveti Jarahi Tariqa. The chief sheikh before him was Muzaffar Ozak Fendi, and his common book that was well known was Ibshad. From the Tariqa, you know, when we are hoofbeats, uh, you know, uh, think of Zebra, and other similar books have been written. I met him in 91, and we can go into the details later. And in 92, it was the 6th of August, 1992, Thursday night, 10 p.m., after a zikr ceremony, the sheikh just picked up his head. His name was Muhammad Safi Fendi picked up his head, made eye contact with me, and said, my son, in fluent Turkish, I don't understand a word of Turkish, but I understood every single word that he said that night. He said, my son, I'm not asking you, I'm instructing you to form an organization. The name in Arabic will be Pakful Waqifin. We translated that in South Africa. It's not exactly correct, but it came up as gift of the givers. Mm. So the name that stood is gift of the givers because we live in an English-speaking country. It will serve all people of all races, all religions, all colors, all classes, all cultures, of any geographical location, 
and of any political affiliation, but you will serve them unconditionally. You will expect nothing in return, not even a thank you. In fact, in what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life, expect to get a kick up your back. If you don't get a kick up your back, regard it as a bonus. Serve people with love, kindness, compassion, and mercy. And remember, the dignity of man is foremost. Feed the hungry, clothe the naked, provide water to the thirsty. And in everything you do, be the best at what you do. Not because of ego, but because you're dealing with human life, human emotion, human suffering, and human dignity. What, caress the head of an orphan. Wipe the tear of a grieving child. Say words of good counsel to a widow. These things are free. They don't cost anything. He emphasized again, this is an instruction for you for the rest of your life. I was 30 years old then. And then he said, my son, the most important thing to understand is done through you and not by you. And I, I'm still not comprehending this thing. At some point I asked him, I said, okay, I want to ask you one question. How come when you speak in Turkish, I understand? And when other people speak in Turkish, I don't understand. He said, my son, when the hearts connect and the souls connect, the words become understandable. I asked him, what exactly am I supposed to do? I'm a doctor in private practice. I'm a general practitioner. I have three practices in a place called Peter Marisburg in South Africa. He looked at me and told me one line, you will know. Hmm. For 30 years, I do know exactly what to do, what not to do, what to touch, what not to touch, how to go about doing it, how not to go about doing it. In fact, that same night, 6 August 1992, as I walked out of the Sufi Tarika in Karagumruk in Istanbul, which is not far from the Fatih Mosque, the well-known Fatih Mosque in Fatih, I, it came to me, respond to the civil war in Bosnia. The same month, not even years later, the same month, I took in 32 containers of aid into a war zone. In November, we took in eight containers of winter items. The chill factor in Eastern Europe can reach minus 21 degrees or more. The following year, we designed the world's first containerized mobile hospital, a product of South African technology, a world first, 28 state-of-the-art containers of a hospital, theater, ICU, x-ray, sterilization, orthopedics, labor ward, casualty, and a whole range of things, including a bus to transport patients, an ambulance and a generator to run the whole hospital, plus 10 containers of backup supplies, which make the hospital fully functional for a whole year, including diesel for a whole year. And we put it in Mostar, in, in an underground warehouse, a place called Valmos in Mostar, which has served thousands of people. A product of South African technology, engineered, a world first taken from Africa into Europe. CNN filmed the hospital in 1st February 1994 and said the South African containerized mobile hospital is equal to any of the best hospitals in Europe. So to answer your question, what do I do? From those three incidents, August 92, November 92, and 1993, it came to me, he said, you will know, that gift of the givers, in essence, was going to be a disaster response agency. Local and international, war, floods, hurricanes, famine, whatever. We are the largest disaster response agency of African origin on the African continent. It didn't stop. As we set up offices in South Africa, we realized that in between disasters, we can't sit do nothing. So we've got 21 different categories of projects. We're involved in hospitals, education, food, water, winter items, sports development, counseling services, wheelchair distribution. We got involved in hostage negotiations also. We do Kurbani once a year. We do several types of projects. We've drilled in the last two and a half years 500 boreholes in South Africa alone. We provide feed for animals. Where farmers, animals are dying and they don't have food, we support animals with feed with millions of rands. We, we work in rands, millions of rands of food to try to save farmers. We're involved in job creation. So in essence, we are a disaster response agency, but help with reconstruction, with development, with education, with teaching, 
what food parcels, what feeding schemes. We had a major role in, in COVID-19. We were the biggest in, in, in organization intervening in South Africa, supporting 210 hospitals in the country with PPEs, scrubs, so CPAP machines, high-flow nasal oxygen machines, video laryngoscopes, medical support, food for the patients, and just a range of stuff. We just do a hell of a lot of stuff. Mashallah, Amazing. So I happen to be in Istanbul just now, which is kind of the origin and birth uh, of your of your life mission, your life work. So I'm curious, Dr. Mtiaz, I mean, you were a medical doctor. You have a, a pretty stable career life. I'm assuming, uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a great profession for a comfortable life. But you walked away from that for a seemingly a life of perhaps struggle and hardship. Is that correct? Well, I won't say struggle and hardship. Yes, it's not equal, equivalent to the physical earning that you get as a doctor. I, mean, I was a very busy doctor. Hmm. It's, it's not comparable. But life is not only about you know having what depends what life means to you. Yeah. You know, and to me, life is contentment, gratification, feeling full, the soul feeling full, filled. And you know, also it's based on what I saw. You have people who are chefs, and you have people who are chefs in inverted commas. There was something very striking about this man that I've never seen in my whole life before. The first time that me and my wife got there in Istanbul, we saw this man. And what was amazing, because remember, this was post-Gulf War. 16 January two, uh, uh, 1991 was the Gulf War. And that time, Samuel Huntington spoke about the clash of civilization. And, you know, the perception was East on one side, West on one side, Jews, Christians, and Hindus on one side, and Muslims on the other side. And for us, it was even particularly worse because we come from an apartheid country before 1994. Mm-hmm. And when my wife and I walk in, we get stunned. We think we're in the wrong place. We see Jews, Christians, Hindus, Muslims, Americans, Russians, people from Europe, Australia, Canada, Brazil, Argentina, South America, parts of Africa, Southeast Asia, all in the Muslim only place. And even those who don't believe. And I'm trying to figure out how is this possible that we fought in so many countries in your own country. We got we got bombed in, Af- in Afghanistan by two superpowers. You know, we fight fighting in Palestine with Israel, Jews and, uh, and Muslims. We had the problems of the Babri Mosque in India. And I'm looking at all this and I said, how can this be possible? And the sheikh looks at my face and I don't know who he was. But the moment in the room I saw somebody sitting, I said, my heart tells me that this man is the sheikh. And I was right. Yeah. He looked at me and his first words to me is, what do you see? I said, I'm confused. What are everybody doing here in the Muslim holy place? He said, my son. I said, I see all different kinds of people. He said, my son, you see right. And then he went to explain the Islamic concept. Mankind is one single nation. The God of all mankind is one. We just call him by different names. The bad behavior of individuals or groups or sectors of society does not, you know, it, it is not indicative of an entire nation, an entire religion, an entire community, an entire country. We need to look at people individually in different ways. And even in doing that, we can't be judgmental. We don't regard a human being in a box. We regard a human being as, as a human being, and we deal with a human being as a human being. You went on to say that the emphasis is on finding the good in a human being. You save the souls. People may have bad habits. It doesn't make them bad people. And in spiritual order, we clean the evil ways and we replace it with good ways. The more you find a person that seems to have bad things in him, look for the good in the person, emphasize the good. And you keep emphasizing the good, Positivity leads to positivity. The person in his soul will realize that it's time to do more good and move away from evil. And we've seen that in life happening many times. Yeah. And that was his teaching. And when I saw such profound teaching that there was more value in peace, oh, and he said, the essence of religion is love and service. He said, the days of sitting in a corner and holding a tasbih and reading are gone. 
you said the, to get close to Allah, the closest way to, the fastest way to grow spiritually and in, 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 in faith, you know, and Iman and Ihsan is to serve people. The more you serve, the higher you climb, the greater you grow. And then he went on to emphasize, like what he said in the teaching, serve all of mankind unconditionally. He said, Khairun Nas, Arabic is not so good, sorry, but it says, Khairun Nas, Nas. Teaching of the Prophet best among people are those who benefit, benefit mankind. And he said it three times. He said, listen carefully. My emphasis is on the word mankind, not Muslim, not Arabs, not Indians, not black or white, mm -hmm. all of mankind unconditionally. And then he went on to say, remember, the Prophet ﷺ, the highest title that he was given is Rahmatul Lil Alameen. He was sent as a mercy, not to the Muslim. He was sent as a mercy to all of mankind and all of creation. If you say you follow Islam, if you say you love the Prophet ﷺ, then you need to emulate him and you need to serve unconditionally. And growth, spiritual growth, comes through unconditional service. So going back to your question, I started living that. If you give me $100,000 an hour to go back into medical practice, I'll be very depressed. The joy of serving people, of the, the, what the nature you feel in your good, in your soul, the goodness you feel in your soul, you can't put a price to that. And to all your viewers, you won't understand that unless you practice it yourselves. You can't listen to something. If I explain to a blind person the beauty of colors, they're never going to understand it. I got to speak to somebody who doesn't understand taste and talk to them about taste of beautiful things. They're not going to understand that. So in the same way, you can't understand the beauty of spirituality and service unless you do it yourselves. So let's go, go as, as digress a little bit. In my teams, we, we respond to disasters with search and rescue teams, medical teams, and equipment. My teams are totally mixed. They're not Muslim. And, and these mixed teams have come with me to Syria, to, 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 to other parts of them, to Pakistan, to other parts of the Muslim world, in, to Turkey. They, they've been crisis. And the first thing they tell me is that, and these teams are not poor people. They are ex doctors with expensive houses, expensive cars, high network, high income, live in absolute luxury. But when they come, they live on the ground. The switch is smelling all over. There's no proper sanitation and no proper water, depending which area we're going to. They're shooting in the streets. Those same people put up their hands over and over again to come back. And I asked them, what is it that brings you back? They said, number one, we find God when we do those kind of interventions. And even journalists travel with me, and the journalists say the same thing. And the second thing they say is, our souls feel enriched. The third thing they say is, we're not giving. We didn't come here to give. We came here to receive. We never go back empty-handed. Mm. And then they say, it's all in the eyes of the recipients. When you see the look in the eyes of the people that you're helping, you know the prayer has gone to God himself directly, and the blessing is coming to you directly. So that's the reason. I do what I do. You know, so much of modern culture, uh, especially in the West nowadays, is focused on the self and that to focus on your personal happiness. I mean, this is the cultural contagion now that has infected pretty much everybody. But what you're describing, Dr. Mtiaz, is an entirely different paradigm, which is to focus less on the self, but to focus on, on others, on humanity, on giving, in fact, and that this actually is what leads to happiness, to fulfillment, to purpose. Is that, would you, would you, could you comment on that a little bit? Yes. It depends, you know, what you mean by fulfillment of, fulfillment of the self. What are you looking for? Then the avenue, your idea is right, that you want to fulfill yourself. Is it about ego or is it about personal gratification? Ego, you know, I'm the king, I'm the richest, I've got the most money, I've got the most expensive house, I'm, I'm the guy that stands up. Is it that? Or I have money, I want to buy a house and a car, my heart feels happy, I can spend on my children, I need to have medical aid. Is it that kind? There's a distinction. But... We may be looking at the wrong, and there's nothing wrong in that. There's nothing wrong in earning wealth. Allah tells you to go and make wealth, it's not a problem. As long as you do it the right way, 
the honest way, I understand that there's a share of poor people in your world. You need to understand that clearly. But people may think, if you don't understand spirituality, that your happiness comes with having money. And that's not always necessarily the case. I've had, I think Steve Jobs spoke about all the money in the world he made just before he died. I realized he went the wrong way. That wasn't the source of happiness. If you look in South Africa, the amount of corporate CEOs that have called me and said, we don't like what we do. We got so much of money, but we don't have satisfaction. Does money doesn't give us fulfillment. Can we join you? We prepared to give up everything today and work for you for no money because we don't need any money. And you have people like this. I have university professors, scientists, people from government. And I'm talking about non-Muslims. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about people who didn't understand the concept. Muslims should understand the concept. And many of them don't understand it either. But you know, non-Muslims coming forward in really high positions all the time. I'm the CEO of this company. I was in charge for it for 15 years. And I was in this company and that company. How do I join you? There's no joy in what I do. I've got everything, but I've got nothing. So it's the way you need to understand. I come back to what I said earlier. The only way you can understand this is to do it yourself. What could the average person who might be listening to this in the United States or Canada or, or Australia or anywhere else in the world, what would you suggest to some of them who are looking for a life of meaning and a life of purpose, who see that in front of them, the quest for ever-increasing uh, you know, consolidation of material and materialism is not going to do it? What would you suggest for some of them as a first step? It's so easy. The teachings in Islam, Prophet said, people said that the Prophet put so much emphasis on the neighbor, they thought they'd have to give the neighbor a share of the inheritance. It's very simple. You don't have to be a gift of the givers. You don't have to belong to some large organization. That can come later. It starts off, firstly, in your own family. During COVID, how many families were affected? In Sala, I don't know what happened in your guys' country, but in us, we had lockdown. You know, the whole country was shut down. People lost their jobs. Yeah, I mean, America also had lockdown, but different things in different parts of the country. South Africa was total shutdown. Companies collapsed. People lost their jobs. Besides medical intervention, as gift of the givers, we intervened with food and areas where there was drought or water. And so many people from so many families were broken. They just had nothing from being middle class and fairly well off yesterday. Today, they had nothing. It just dropped overnight. Thousands of people lost their jobs. Companies just closed. 40, 50 old companies just closed. And people asked, what do we do? Without us saying anything, I mean, there's people with good intention. South African people went to families. COVID, everybody was scared. But when they heard somebody from the family who was in hospital, they knew that was traumatic enough for that family person. They would cook food and take it to that person for that person and their family. And then, of course, they would take the precautions, but they were not afraid to take the chance that that person is broken because it's a lonely, COVID is the most lonely disease. You can't go to hospital. You can't go to the ICU. You can't go to the wards. A person is dying and the person dies most only dead without seeing the rest of the family. And you or your child will die, or well, in most cases, adults die, not children. Your family or your parents will die without the children seeing them. And the children are left alone. Children are left alone. And in this case, one classic example, a direct need is people are too broken. They can't do anything. Let's cook for them. Take food to them. Other people said, okay, they've lost jobs. Let's, in a very quiet, dignified manner, find out in the family who needs money, who needs to take your fees for studying, to continue studying, who needs a food parcel, or who needs continued support. What can we help do to help our niece, our grandson, something like that? And people got involved quietly. The best way is quietly. With us, it's more flashy. You know, it's more open because we have to show the donors what we do. You know, we need to show them where the money is. In our case, it's very more visible. And the Quran talks about the charity that's open and, and, and secret. The secret is, is what you do as an individual. The open is what you do as a group, as a community, as an organization. Because tomorrow I'll ask you, what did you do with my money? I can't, I can't say anything. So we are very, very big in media. With the biggest agency in terms of coverage in South Africa, there's not a day that doesn't go through. 
that we are not covered somewhere in the media. We huge in terms of media coverage. And the media travels with us all over the world when we intervene in disasters. So that's a separate issue. But the private issue is start off with your, your own family, your neighbor, the guy who works with you in your company, down the road, the next street, the next village, the next province, and then the rest of the country. And it doesn't have to be big things. It can be very, very simple. Quite often, we, we, we can run our own counseling service. And in the counseling service, people will come, people are scared to talk. They don't like to expose the inner problems. And sometimes they would come like after 15 years and realize all they needed was the right words. You don't give, you don't make decisions for people. You make, you, you, you talk to the problem. They make decisions, you empower them. And they come back and they say, it only took 10 minutes. 15 years I was suffering and it only took 10 minutes and I know what to do. So it's in a similar way. If the mind is completely destroyed, the physical body can't function. So it may be, uh, the prophet spoke about the word of good counsel. So good counsel, food, teaching somebody, maths, science, whatever subjects you do, it's just service in any way possible. And that's why the prophet spoke about simple things. Remove the stone from the road. Sounds very menial, yeah. but it's the basis of bigger actions. Yeah. Nothing, an alignment could have, could have fallen down and got more injured. An old person could have fractured the hip. Anything is possible. So he emphasizes that life is not complicated. It's about service. And he even said, do something small, but be consistent. So you want to start something, start off with something small, be realistic. When we're going to earthquake, we don't say we're going to do the whole city. We make it very clear. We're only going to do one street. If we finish the one street, we'll take the second street. But the reality is we can't be every street. We're not God. We're only agents of God. Yeah. And we go there and we do what is realistic and practical. So if you want to do something, be realistic and practical. Don't say, I'm going to give $1,000 every week. And after the fourth week, you start hating what you're doing. You start judging what you're doing and right. becomes negative. Your action becomes negative and you start hating the person that you're helping. It can't be like that. It right. must be given from the heart, what's affordable, what's manageable, what's realistic, but be consistent with the aim of making that person independent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so essentially, a life of service begins with a small step, right? Just some, you're, what you're suggesting is for anybody, anybody has access to be able to connect with other human beings, to be of value, to be of service, to establish relationships with others, beginning with our own neighbors, beginning with our own family, uh, beginning with those in need around us. And I, I agree wholeheartedly because I think a lot of people don't understand sometimes, even within their own families, how much others are in need of just maybe a kind word, a smile, a check-in, you know, uh, just some basic level of love that can be communicated to them through actions, through words, that could change their lives. That could make a difference in, in a lot of people's lives. Uh, it's a, a brilliant uh, suggestion, uh, Dr. MTS. Uh, and, the, and the other important thing is, if somebody intervenes in a family that's got a dispute, the greatest service, again, the process of spoke about, is about raising ties of kinship, that brothers are not talking to each other. Yeah. Sisters are not talking to each other. The greatest service you can do, because it eats your soul when you have that. Yes, you have the friction, but inside you suffer. Yeah. And if people can heal that, it's cost nothing, it's free. It's a, it's a huge benefit for you and the people that you're helping. The converse way is also to avoid those actions which cause negativity. Don't mm. steal somebody's inheritance. Don't do your family down. Don't undermeasure, under, when you give away stuff, don't underweight and exploit people. Don't send expired goods and then say, you know, I went for opera four times a year. I pray five times a day. I treat the hundred in Ramadan. I go for the etikah for the last 10 days. But your every other action in civil service is contrary to the teachings of the pro- Prophet. It doesn't make any sense. There yeah. has to be, a, that's what spirituality is all about, that your internal growth or your, your physical growth is consistent with the teaching. There's no dichotomy. You can't be praying and stealing at the same time. It's illogical. So there has to be a transformation in your character and your soul. Otherwise, you're wasting your time.
to be burned. Indeed, inshallah. Um, there's the understanding that we have as Muslims that Allah has created us to be deputies, to be servants, to be vicegerents, khilafa, and khulafa, to be khalifas of Allah Almighty. And with that comes, if one really thinks about it, this understanding that that's a tremendous responsibility. What does that actually mean to be a khalif of Allah? And one of the ways that I might try to address that is maybe with the word stewards or stewardship that we are actually responsible to whatever degree we can carry uh, for life on this planet and, and perhaps even beyond. What would you say in terms of a life of service, dedication, a life of, of giving, uh, in terms of fulfilling that mandate that we have been established by Allah as His representative on earth? To me, it's quite simple. Again, what I just spoke about earlier, that you love by example, that when people see you, they see Islam. You see quite a lot of our people do the wrong things. And it's very, very embarrassing when you see in the media, on TV, I don't on social media, a man with a hat, a big beard, representing Islam. And this happened two days ago, that he stole money from his boss to go on religious missions. He stole money and put it in his personal account. And when you look at that, it creates the impression that Islamic teaching is consistent with wrong behavior. People don't separate you know, the religion and the individual that has moved away from religion. And when people do any type of bad things, unfortunately in, in Islam, they would say that's the people of the Prophet Muhammad and they won't say peace be upon him. So we need to be very, very careful and very conscious that whatever we do doesn't impact on the status of the Holy Prophet because we are regarded as his people and that's how the world operates. I is a, is a, you know, he's a bad Muslim. See, Muslims are bad people. See what they do? They dishonest, they lie, they cheat, cheat, they commit murder. And when you start doing that, and again, the same thing happened in our country. When we started serving, people were the, 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 were the sheep dying. And these were Afrikaner people. Then in, in their church, before apartheid ended, there are three teachings in, 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 in the church called the NGK church, which was the most important uh, church in, in South Africa, of Afrikaner people. And they taught three principles, three important lessons. They said, Swart Sakhafar, which means black, people, Roy Sakhafar, which means red, which means communist, and Muslim Sakhafar. Sakhafar means danger. And so three dangerous things you've got to be, care of, be careful of. Black people, communists, and Muslims. And when we started helping them in 2017, we started providing water to their sheep and giving them fodder. They didn't want to take it. Many of them said they can't take it. What's the catch? What do we want to return? Do we want to build a mosque in the area? Do we want to convert them to Islam? Do we want to marry their women? So the Afrikaner people who knew us well said they have no such intention. They don't want anything from you. They said it's not possible. Nobody does something and gets nothing back in return. There must be some catch to this. Mm. We said no. So those who don't want to participate, we left them alone. And those who participate came. After three months, came in, accept, agreed for us to put a borehole for them. We drilled 238 boreholes to save the sheep, all at our cost. And after three or four months, they called us back. And they said, thank you for three things. Number one, for saving our sheep. Number two, for saving our farms. And number three, and most importantly, for showing us what real Islam is all about. We didn't understand it that way. Mm. We had a completely misunderstanding message of what your religion stood about. Yeah. And today, we've been educated. And since then, I've been called by so many Afrikaner groups to the events where they were called nobody and asked me to speak. At the same church, the NJK church, called me to be a guest in the church. Wow. So in essence, that's what... Khalifatullah means living the example, not the words. Everybody can talk, living the example. Subhanallah adeem, mashallah. You know, uh, we see a lot of times people focusing on, on dawah, 
on calling people to Islam and, and they'll do all kinds of things, have debates, have arguments, put a table outside and confront people with their belief systems and things like this. And I, I just, I, I can't help but wonder what can be more effective in terms of dawah than just simply helping humanity, helping human beings, doing something of actual real value and service in the world. So what has been the response? You, you gave a little bit of this uh, in what you just said, Dr. Antias, but what has, beyond just this example, what would you say in terms of, even in terms of dawah, just serving, helping, meeting the needs of people without expecting or, or asking for anything in return, right? What has that been in, in your experience now of, what, 30 years in terms of just their response and reaction to Islam? Incredible. They don't write negative things about Islam anymore in this country. If they write the same people should attack us, other people will attack the other side. We don't have to do anything. They'll say, sorry, you are wrong. You know, you, you, that's not correct. And the same people will get together and hammer you. Terrorists, fundamentalists, hostage takers, this, that, and the other. No more. They said, sorry, you look at it the wrong way. To the point, I shouldn't be saying this, but for the last two and a half years, almost every South African has begged me to stand as the president of the country. From within the political parties, black people, white people, Christians, Jews, Hindus and Muslims. There's a huge campaign in South Africa right now, begging me everywhere I go, they stop me and they said, we want you as president. I met a black person yesterday in a shop and in, in a supermarket and he tells me, I hear you're going to be the next president. I said, I'm not interested. He said, I hope you change your mind. Hope God makes it different. I said, by my spiritual teacher, I'm not allowed to be a, to stand in politics. They said, we all should write to your spiritual teacher and tell him to change his mind. You know, it's that kind of emphasis that people coming, and not because I'm some great guy with a lot of money. All they've seen is when there's a problem, we're there. Again, I, it's just, I don't want to talk about myself personally, but you won't understand the message unless I say it like that. They call me Mr. Fix-It. They say you are the government of the country. What the government can't do, you fix. You repair everything in the country. You bring social cohesion. You bring water. You bring health service. You bring security. You do everything in the country. You are the government. They tell me that clearly. People within government have asked me. Political parties have approached me. Political leaders have approached me. Business people have approached me. Please stand, be the president of the country. So to answer your question, that's the level you can go to if you do things in the right way. But my sheikh said something very important. You know, what is the concept of dawah? Dawah is, he said, you don't win people or you don't, you know, your job is not to make somebody Muslim. Your job is to soften the heart. And if they decide to become Muslim after that, it's their choice. As long as they don't fight with you, they're not negative towards you, they're not, you know, they don't speak bad about your religion and they respect you, that's all that's required. Allah says clearly, it is his job to make Muslim. Your job is just to carry the message. But who gave us the right to start converting people saying, you're going to come to Islam? No, that's not our job. Right. I'm astonished sometimes this approach. Uh, you know, when I was very young, I, I, I sort of took a little bit of that approach to myself. But I'm astonished at this point, this attempt to force people to convert to Islam through some sort of argument or logic or rationale or reasoning or it doesn't really it doesn't even work and uh, that's a beautiful definition of dawah that you gave the softening of people's hearts inshallah and guidance is from allah um doctor well, just, just on that point on that point what are we short of like even those african people in, in in the place called sutherland i don't know why would i want to make you muslim we already got 1.6 billion and we're growing all the time at our birth rate why do we need any extra people i said we don't need you to be honest we got too many already so everybody wants to come is most welcome we're really not looking after numbers. We're not having such a small population. We are said we are growing at a phenomenal pace and we're growing in areas where there's poverty. We've got more people to look after. We don't want any more people to look after. Yeah. And then they look at me. <laughs> like the rocket science. Yeah, that's really. 
Um, what are some of the projects that you guys are currently that Gift of Givers is currently involved in? Well, of course, Turkey, Syria. You know the earthquake in Turkey. We 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 sent in search and rescue teams. We pull out a lady alive from the rubble, a ninety-year-old lady, eight days into the earthquake. We look here at supplying with reconstruction, medical support, whatever else they require. In uh, in in Syria, we're running a hospital since two thousand and twelve. It's one of the largest hospitals in the north of the country. It's called Al Rahma Hospital. We have three hundred and twenty staff there. Those staff went out for well. Teams from there went out for search and rescue. We got relationships with the Christian villages inside Syria. We support them. If they require any assistance, search and rescue, food, medical care. This hospital is well known. People from all over the world have visited it. So we've got major programs in Syria supporting refugee camps. We're constructing houses. We've already built the first 200. The next 200 we're going to be building for the refugees itself and people affected. After that, the floods came and destroyed many more houses. So, you know, and the medical services are diverse. We have dialysis. We have CT scans. We have, you know, five different buildings and a backup second hospital on the Turkish border. So we have very, in Turkey itself, reconstruction and medical support, we will help. Depends what they need in, in discussion with them. In Syria, of course, we established for 11 years. So it's hospital, it's food, it's camps, it's education, it's uh, bursaries, it's upgrading, it's training. In in Yemen, we've got a massive program. You know, there's 20 million people who go to bed hungry every day. We're supporting them in water, what education, what fees, helping pay for lecturers, give them food, they've got nothing to eat. And, and even doctors give them food, parcels to eat because the income is too low. We're supporting dialysis. We're supporting in construction, education. We're building houses for blind people. So there's a lot of projects in Yemen. We're involved in Somalia in a huge way. We have an office, by the way, in Syria, in Yemen, in Ramallah, in Gaza, in uh, Somalia, in, in Zimbabwe, in Malawi, and several offices in South Africa. And from here, we can move to any part of the world. In Ramadan, we increase feeding in some of the other countries, West Africa, where we don't have offices, but we have relationships. We're not too keen to keep opening offices all over because we can move at speed from South Africa to any corner of the earth. Mm. I've got key people, personnel, you know, uh, stationed in different parts of the world. So if we have a disaster, I can find somebody from Denmark or from the uh, Netherlands or from the UK or from Australia, you know, and they could come there first and the rest of the teams could follow. So in Ramadan, our, our projects are basically health-related, infrastructure, equipment, supporting staff, cataract catch-up surgeries, water, boreholes, agriculture, supporting farmers, you know, Malawi with farmers' packs. And then, of course, paying for bursaries for kids to, to study and become self-sufficient at some point, housing uh, and supporting camps. So it's all, all diverse things that we do. And, of course, food is a big need in so many countries. There's so much hunger right now. Yemen and Somalia, because of the drought and, and the no economy in Yemen and the drought in, in Somalia, food is a huge need. We sent in 200 containers of aid last year of food, you know, to help. And you, you can't really grow anything. There's no diesel, so you can't run bowls. It's too expensive to do bowls. So we do the best we can. But we've been consistent. We've been there since 2012 in Yemen, 2012 in Syria. been Malawi since 2004. been Zimbabwe from about six or seven years ago. And Somalia, we're there from 2004. So wherever we are, we establish ourselves strongly. And we may look now at Kenya, Ethiopia, to open up new offices, but we're not in Ari. In all of the uh, theaters that you've operated in, that you've personally been in, what has... I mean, you've also been in war zones. You've also been in, in areas where your life has probably been at risk. Um, can you share just with our audience, you know, maybe one of these experiences so they can get a grasp of what the reality of this type of work is like? Well, this is the first project. When I, you know, I mean, when the Sheikh said this, you know, when he gave me instruction that night, six August, the first project I did, as the, I mean, you, you do something simple, 
I went into a war zone, but in the same month, and took in 32 containers of aid. And actually, that is the best thing that could have happened. 85% to 90% of what I know now, you know, in inter- international disasters, wars, earthquakes, floods, hurricanes, famine, I learned in that project. And we went, I went in, you know, and of course, I had some non-Muslim journalists with me and some non-Muslim friends who came with me. That's because you opened my mind that you don't have to work with Muslims only. You work with like-minded people. Spirituality teaches you there's no people in a box. And because of that, people came with me. We were arrested at gunpoint in Croatia, and they called me Mujahideen because I had a bigger beard that time. They called me Mujahideen, and, they, and I had a, a journalist with me and another guy from Austria. And they, they said, you know what, you took us to jail. They didn't put us inside the jail. And for some reason, and we couldn't speak their language, and they couldn't speak English. And at some point, they looked at us, and it was just go. And then they started shooting at us, but they didn't actually shoot at us. They shot above us. And then that was just from Allah. And then I was on the front line, 300 meters from the front lines, from the Serbian line. And the bombs were falling across. And across the bridge, and the bomb just hit the bridge. In Syria, as our teams, medical teams got there, four missiles struck the mountain above us. They tried to bomb the place where we were staying. They tried to bomb in the area around. In fact, and then two groups from the same side, on, on the north side, structure, fought in the hospital, in our hospital, while our teams were inside. Hmm. Wow. And then in, in, in Somalia, you know, Al-Shabaab and the transition government forces were fighting. Bombs were falling all over. Bombs exploded close to our compound. You know, so things like that happen all the time. I mean, we were in Gaza and the bombs were falling in 2009 and in 2014. You know, so we've been in Lebanon and the bombs were falling there too. So, but the teams, I told you, of diverse regions and they keep coming back. Those kind of things don't make them scared. And every time I tell them, let's not, you know, in fact, when it comes to war, it's, it's, it's incredible. When I tell the people you're going to a war zone and please don't come, you're a single mother, you've got small children, you shouldn't be coming. I do everything possible to frighten them. Mm-hmm. You're going to get killed. Your eyes are going to be damaged. Your hand will get blown off. You know, you, you'll come back all paralyzed. And they all, Muslim and non-Muslim, tell me, don't you think we're adults? Don't you think we've thought about this carefully? We're coming. And don't you think the God above is going to look after us? They're not Muslim. The God above us is going to look after us because we are coming here to serve his creation. Mm. And to be honest, the volunteer numbers are far higher to go into a war zone than into a natural disaster. Wow. What's next in your in your mission with Gift of Givers? What's the next project or, or... There's, there's never been a plan. The Sheikh said you will know. I didn't say in nineteen ninety two, okay, I think two thousand and twenty we're gonna have COVID and I wanna prepare for that. And you know, somebody's gonna have, have a, a big earthquake attack in two thousand and twenty three. I need to be ready for that. No, we don't do that. We this we are in a state of preparedness because most disasters are the same. Mm. We upgrade our teams, we increase our volunteers, we upgrade our equipment. And right now the need after COVID is our, our hospitals are suffering with poor infrastructure, poor medical equipment, understaffing. They need support in catch-up surgery. So we say, okay, let's put in, pay for more staff to come on the weekends. Let's put in medical equipment. Let's upgrade the hospitals. Let's pay for catch-up surgery. And that's what we do. Our hospitals don't have water, so let's put more holes. And then, of course, there's a huge hunger crisis. Kids are dying of hunger in this country that's got gold, diamonds, platinum, manganese, and children are dying of hunger. So I'm not fighting providing hunger and fortified foods is a huge intervention again in the country. Sheep are still dying, so fodder is still going. We are, we, are, we are subsidizing pellets. Pellets is nutritionally and rich food for sheep. Each bag we're subsidizing for by 60 rand to help the farmers save their farms mm. and to save the sheep and to save jobs. So as the need is there, we respond to it. Schools need infrastructure. They need toilets. They need children that got learning disorders. They need special education intervention. They've got educational psychologists, teachers with special education needs. We just started that program last year. It's a long way to go, but 
There's a lot of things in South Africa that's a long way to go. And then let's go slightly beyond that. When we had the floods last year, we realized that the government didn't have enough dogs for search and rescue. They couldn't find the bodies. <clears throat> then I went to visit them at the dog kennel in Cape Town. And I looked at the dogs. I said, but these dogs are all petulant. They can't do anything. They said, it's true. We don't have dogs. So we set up a program. <clears throat> Hopefully after Ramadan, we're going to be giving them the first 20 dogs. We're funding them 60 dogs. Dogs skilled in ammunition, in explosives, in search and rescue, in body search, in, in all kinds of crime things, in finding stolen plants. Sorry. So it's, it's in those kind of things to support government. Then they said, <clears throat> they don't have special boats because we have lots of floods here. We're on the coast, cyclones hit countries nearby. So we bought some special boats for them they could use in situations. Then they came with a van, we got up this bucket, but we can't put a dog inside because they didn't put the cover for the bucket. They only gave us the bucket. And now when there's an emergency, we can't take the dog with us because you can't leave the dog in the open, I don't know what you call it, but we call it bucket, it's a van. It's a, you know, it's a van with a pack, you drive in the front and open in the back. So we have to put a canopy. We converted that for them. And how God made it. The, the department that we converted the van for was the same department that brought the dog that came to it was that same dog that picked up the, the lady alive in the rubble. You mm. see, it always comes back. Yeah. That's the video of spirituality. It always comes back. Ashwala, I want to I want to thank you very much for this uh, morning and this opportunity, this this time with you, Doctor Mtiaz. Um, what is your and as we try to wrap up, I want to ask you, what is your what would you say is your mis message to to people who are listening into the Muslim community specifically? What would you say to them from your heart that 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 they may need to hear? What do we say, be Muslim? We say we like to emulate the Holy Prophet In any situation, before you act, ask, will he do that? Will he fight with somebody? Will he insult somebody? Will he say harsh, harsh words to somebody? Will he cause damage in the family? And everything that you want to do, and even in war, he said, be kind to your enemies. Don't tie them. It is better to forgive than to fight. It's better to, to make peace than to fight. Are we going to be aggressive like other guys have been aggressive with us in other parts of the world and show anger? We are no different than them. I mean, they have messages, oh, Jews did this in Israel, all Jews are bad. So when it's, a Muslim does something bad and they say all Muslims are bad, we don't like that, do we? So why do we do the same thing in reverse? We need to look at individual as an individual. And instead of folk fighting about negativity, just serve. You want to change the world? Serve unconditionally. Expect nothing return. Oh, and the most important message, our service is not Muslims only. A lot of Muslims forget that. Oh, can you take zakat? So I said, why other people are not the humans? You know, it's only Muslims that we help. We Islam don't do that. The most important thing to understand is, and you guys in America do a lot of that, even in the UK, not, not help Muslims, but you, you help everybody. I know it's important to help everybody. And, and it must be done not, oh, let me help him, but you know, then you'll see how good Muslim is. The intention has to be correct. Yeah. You have to do it not because you think you know, Muslims are, are good. You must do it because that's right. It's what the Prophet himself would have done. He would have said, okay, this is a bad guy, it's from a bad area. In the Quran, there is no condition for service. Help a guy, but help a guy if. No, it doesn't say that. It just says help and says nas. It doesn't say Muslim. It says nas, mankind. So you want to do something, you want to change the world, change your own attitude, your mindset, serve, no hate, no anger, just serve. Always forgive. It always comes back. People change. People people came, the person came to kill Hazrat Umar, and when he saw the peace, and the reading, it changed. If it could happen then, it could happen here. Mashallah. Allah Ameen. Allahumma Ameen. 
Jazakallah khairun. Thank you very much. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward and bless and support and strengthen you and your work and your entire organization and everybody involved, uh, Dr. Mtiaz. Uh, as we conclude, um, I would like to just simply invite you to to conclude our, our talk and our interview and our time today with, uh, with a dua that, that our listeners can also share in, inshallah. I must say I'm not very good at dua. My Arabic is not good, you know, so I prefer not being at dua. Arabic is a disaster. I've never learned it properly. English is fine. English dua is fine. Just to, okay. It's a supplication. Allahumma <laughs> Allahumma innaka afuun kareemun tuhibbun afwa faafu aniyya kareem. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasna wa fi akhira hasna wa kina azabinna. Sabikna wa atana ufranaka. Rabbana wa alaykum asif. Rahmatika ya arham al-rahimin. Amin. Fatiha tashariq. Amin ya And where can people find you and your organization? What can they do to, to perhaps try to help to support Dr. Mtiaz? Well, they can see us on social media on website giftofthegivers.org. You'll find us there. You'll see everything that we do. It's on Facebook. It's on Instagram. It's on website. It's all there. You know, and if you research us, you'll find millions of articles without exaggeration. There's so much of stuff on us. So it's gift of the givers, gift of the givers.org. Excellent. And uh, we'll make sure to, to include that in the show notes and in the description below this as well. Thank you, Dr. Intia Suleiman. May Allah Almighty support and bless and strengthen you again. And uh, I hope to connect again, inshallah, in the future. Thanks for inviting salams to all your viewers. I don't know when they're going to see this, but if they see it before Ramadan, Ramadan Mubarak. If not, post Ramadan Mubarak, happy Eid, and whatever it is, you know, well, let's say, let's have a great Islamic year, inshallah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Salman. Thank you. Shukran. I pray that you enjoyed and benefited from this discussion and episode of Soul of Islam Radio. To help us continue to bring you these meaningful conversations regarding spiritual development and faith, do us a favor and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening to this broadcast. And if you can think of at least one person who may benefit from this content, please share Soul of Islam Radio with them. To learn more about Dr. Suleiman and the Gift of the Givers Foundation, please head over to giftofthegivers.org. And if you can, please support their valuable work. To further connect with me and to learn how you can deepen your personal spiritual path and journey by strengthening and supporting your connection with our Creator, please visit us at soulofislamradio.com and join our community through one of the many resources available there for your learning, growth, development, and awakening. With the will and grace of God, we look forward to connecting with you soon to your divine and eternal success. Mm-hmm.